Your health is our priority. Each series, it's our goal to make sure that we provide you with experts and guests that offer multiple perspectives so that you feel supported, empowered, and less alone. Like the work we do? Buy us a cup of coffee. Or tea. You can leave us a tip over at coffee.com slash the hip podcast, which is ko-fi.com slash the HIP podcast, or with the link in our show notes. When you buy us a cup of coffee, you not only support the work we do, but also gain access to early releases and downloadable resources. Again, that's coffee.com slash the hip podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health It's Personal. Today, we have an amazing conversation for you as part of our sexual health series. Jocelyn Nardal is a certified sexologist and surrogate partner who was kind enough to sit down with us today and discuss sex, disability, and human connection. We love her work and even more so her energy. She is so fun and passionate, and you can feel her fire for this work. She's also just super smart. Yeah, (laughs) I was like. How do you know all of this? And so in tune with herself and who she is and her confidence is off the charts. And I imagine that that's all the things that you need in order to feel comfortable asking someone to help you professionally in this way. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult, even though we've had all these incredible conversations in the sexual health series, we've talked to so many amazing experts who have helped us kind of understand how you navigate these conversations I am still having trouble, despite loving the work she does, to imagine myself being comfortable enough to approach even a professional. And I really should. One takeaway from today is maybe I have some work to do still. So (laughs) going to unpack some things. It's not that there's any judgment there, because as we say, you know, this is a judgment free zone. But maybe I have a judgment for myself (laughs) that I need to go through. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. I think it's I think it's the same as some people are more comfortable than others just going to therapy. And trusting a stranger or someone that you're not familiar with yet with your feelings. I think it's Mm -hmm. kind of the same thing. So I think for real, I don't know, Sean, I feel like maybe it's just everybody has different comfortability levels with Mm -hmm. like inviting someone into your inner sanctum. That's true. Yeah. And you can say the same thing with just like, I don't know, roommates or friendships or making (laughs) a doctor's appointment. Get out of my space. (laughs) Yeah. A dentist. Well, I think I think that's what makes people so brave. We've talked about a lot of individuals who use surrogate partners, who these people may have a disability, or are in care homes and have to express to their caregivers what they're wanting. And it and it's really mm-hmm. vulnerable. And so you really do have to be brave. So yeah, I think you can give yourself some credit. <laughs> you can barely sometimes say it for yourself for your own benefit. Like, yeah, or to your partner. Yeah. Imagine saying that to, as we talked about today, to your caretakers, to your parents, to your partners, to a therapist. Yeah. yeah. And she actually, she has a lot of different experiences that probably make her so amazing at her job. But she had to get a lot of education and do a lot of self-exploration in order to be as vibrant and interesting and educated about these topics so that she could be the best surrogate possible. So yeah. it takes Didn't a lot happen of work. overnight. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. A lot of work sure. and a lot no, of difficult it, work too. And what was the, um, yeah. what's that session called that Dr. Lene St. John? ASAR. And, ASAR? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's an acronym. It's A-S-A-R. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes so much more sense. I figured I'd ask for the listeners to like, okay, now we understand completely. Like, 
I've been thinking about that so much and today really changed my perspective on that. And I'm like, how do I sign up for one? <laughs> right. I want Just that. like get everything right. I know yes. the, something that really stuck out to me about this episode was that. And we've talked to plenty of people about this. It's like, get your house in order. Mm-hmm. And especially when it's like about something that's so important to other people, we have these triggers and they determine how we react sometimes. And it's not always in the healthiest way. And it impacts the people that we love the most. And it stinks. I didn't get myself in order early on. And that's why I think I wasn't able to be there for my kids, but in the way that I had hoped. But so many people in all these episodes, specifically in the sexual health series, have taught us, like, get yourself together. Like, get your, get your shit together. Really? But <laughs> yeah. look at that work you just did. That's a huge level of growth that we just saw where you said, in the way that I wanted or hoped. Like, you did acknowledge that you did do an amazing job, but, you know, we can always continue to learn and grow and do better. I know, because I normally would just beat myself up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We're all trying. Well, and... <laughs> Jocelyn said something like, the main part of my work that I'm most passionate about is allowing people to feel more comfortable talking about sex and sexuality and all of its different forms and having open conversations. And I think the three of us have grown a lot in our comfortability talking about these topics throughout the sexual health series. I think that we've been having more open conversations with each other. Um, And it's actually funny, the other day, my or actually today, my friend and I were talking about STIs and STDs. And she, she was like, it's just, you know, there's such a stigma around it or such a shame. And I was like, not anymore. (laughs) But I think it's because the only people I talk to right now are people who have zero shame or stigma. Yeah, sex educators and the three of us. We're all I'm like, like, I don't think so. I think I think everyone's kind of like done doing that. (laughs) She's like, where are you living? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like I uh, I got a really uh, upsetting comment on Instagram through stories because I shared something. It just because we're so comfortable with things now. And it wasn't even anything like Mm -hmm. a big deal. It was just like, oh, quirks. And people like those aren't quirks. Those are just I'm like, okay, people need to still do some work. (laughs) Wait, what was the it was just about neurodiversity and like those aren't quirks. Everyone does that. And I'm like, I don't think that's true, but I think that you need a little bit of therapy, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's if that's a trigger for you, you need to look into that. Oh, here's a here's a good comeback for those people, Sean, when they reach out to you, just say, do the work, man. Do the work. Do the work. Yeah. I wanted to say so many things, but instead I just (laughs) didn't respond because Wow. That's how I'm trying to be these days. Nice. <laughs> I wish you well the done. best. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> we put in the work. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I loved everything we talked about today because it just it's so helpful, not just with uh, sexual health or sexuality or disabilities, but as you said earlier, it just impacts our health all around. The conversations we have with ourselves, with others, to just be comfortable with being ourselves, to be comfortable with pleasure in general. Just we're so guilty with the hustle culture. We have to work so much. We always have to be doing something. We have to be becoming someone. But also, we were just born to enjoy life while we're here. It's a very short time that we're here. So whether that's playing a video game or spending time with your pets or giving Cha-Cha a nice cardboard box for her to to live in. Hide in, (laughs) yeah. I need to schedule an hour for my pleasure. Yes. (laughs) Morning routine. Put it in your morning routine. (laughs) Well, he was just saying that 
that we're we have like this whole hustle bustle culture and then i just said <laughs> yeah. i need to schedule time for my pleasure <laughs> yeah i heard you hustle about it pleasure okay yeah. Gave we're, we're taking visual. the hustle she culture back <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> no shame um, friend we just love jocelyn's openness and honesty and the fact that she's put in so much work to be extremely well educated on the subject because she's aware that there's a lot of pushback you know in this type of work and a lot of shame and stigma like we were talking about so we're just so grateful that she's putting in the work and just grateful to her for being so fired up. And this is a really important topic. So please, everyone grab a cup of tea and enjoy. Health is harmony. When you're aligned to everything you believe in is when you feel that harmony and you feel peace. Trying to get to the root cause of things. That is just so much to learn. Can you be present in those moments in your life that mean the most? Because health, it's personal. Hi, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for joining us to chat about this uniquely crucial topic, especially when so many have strong opinions on it already. Your work in coaching and educating others is truly inspiring. And along with the advocacy work that you do, it's led to so many transformative changes for so many people. And before we dive into this conversation, would you mind telling us a little about yourself and what you do to contribute to a more inclusive world and how your journeys led you to this work? Wow. Thank you for having me on the show, first of all. And there are a lot of stories in there in that question that you just asked <laughs> me. So, so first, okay, so who am I? What do I do? My name is Jocelyn, as they just mentioned. I'm a clinical sexologist and a certified sex coach. I also work as a surrogate partner for people with physical disabilities. And so under that umbrella, I do a lot of different things. And so my main, my main thing is helping people with sex and relationships in my private practice. I do a lot of sex education also through my surrogate partner work. And that's, yeah, that's my focus. I also do a lot of sex work advocacy actually as well. That's something that I'm really passionate about, obviously. So how did I get into this work is a little bit of a longer story. The short version is that I was working as an erotic masseuse and an escort and I got into a relationship and I was engaged to be married. So I decided to quit that industry. And while I was trying to figure out how to pivot and what to do and how to make money, I accidentally founded my coaching practice. It was actually my partner at the time's idea. He was like, all these people are constantly calling you for advice and guidance. Like, why don't you start charging people for this? Like, right. you know so much. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. And so I, I started it, but I wasn't willing to talk about my sex work experience. And so that created a little bit of a imposter syndrome for me. Cause I was like, why am I a sex expert? If I can't talk about my, my field experience quotation marks there. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have any formal training yet at that time. I do now, but that's also what prompted me to get my clinical sexology degree. Cause I was like, I need some kind of like paper to show that I know what I'm talking about. And so that's how my, my coaching practice ended up starting like that accidentally. And then I found Sensual Solutions, which is the agency that caters to people who have physical disabilities. And I thought it was going to be a really good fit based on what the job description was, because um, it wasn't like typical sex work, like what I had been doing as an escort or as an erotic masseuse. But my partner at the time was not comfortable with me being, they call them intimacy coaches with Sensual Solutions. And he was not comfortable with me doing that. So. I said, sorry, but I can't take the job right now. Even though I'd met the owner of the company, her name is Trish. We were supposed to have a half an hour coffee. Three hours later, we're still talking. 
you know, it was like a meeting of the minds <laughs> and, you know, the rest is history. So once that relationship deteriorated, the first call I made was to Trish and I was like, I'm ready to come work for you. And she said, Oh my gosh, you have so much to offer. I'm so happy. And that was, geez, like six ish years ago, maybe more now. I can't remember. So yeah. Anyways, long story short, we've been friends and colleagues ever since. And we've done a lot of advocacy work together, Trish and I, we speak at conferences and we kind of hand things off to each other. So it's, it's been lovely, honestly, it's been very fulfilling work. I'm very happy to be part of it, to be perfectly honest. And then I do a couple of other things. I'm part of a, a grant reviewer team that is part of what they call the pleasure fund. And it was supposed to be launched on uh, International Women's Day, but they're having some technical issues on the back end. So we still haven't launched yet. But it's a research fund that is geared solely towards advancing women's sexuality and women's pleasure. So they've donated or they've pledged 250,000 euros over the course of five years to be doled out to research projects solely advancing women's sexuality and women's pleasure. So I'm on the scientific advisory board for that. Um, deciding basically who gets the grants. Wow. Uh, so that's very exciting. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. yeah, really. I'm really excited about that project. And then I'm also part of another team of professionals and sex workers who are creating a training for helping professionals. It's called the uh, Equitable Care Certification. It's a 30-hour training. It's ASEC certified. And it's basically helping people figure out how to give more equitable care to minorities people of color, but also mainly sex workers, which is why I was brought in as a sex worker voice. So we're in the process of creating that right now as well. That's wow. incredible. And as like we, yeah. as we like to say, you wear many hats. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah. But we can see the intersections <laughs> yeah. there very clearly, which is really cool that you get to do what you love and make a huge difference in so many lives too. That's really cool. Yeah, I love it. I love it, honestly. So you mentioned that early on you were kind of feeling like an imposter because you couldn't share like part of your experience or part mm -hmm. of who you were or what you did. Like once you figured out that that it was okay for you to say that out loud, how did it change the work that you're doing? Oh, man, it was a massive shift for me. And I will credit Dr. Patty and Dr. Robert at Sex Coach University because when I went to California for my live training, which is compulsory in the certification, you have to go and do um, what they call a SAR or sexual attitude readjustment and restructuring. The whole training is basically designed to be like immersive therapy. So they are <laughs> bombarding you with all sorts of different things, basically to see where your triggers are mm. so that you can figure out where those lie so that you can help people better because you don't want to be triggered in a session when you're coaching somebody. And often we don't realize where our triggers lie until it's been tripped. So with my experience in sex work, I was like, I'm not sure what they're going to do to shock me, but I can't imagine what it could possibly be, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and it was still quite shocking, actually. My revelation that I got out of that was when the BDSM panel came in, even though I had quite a bit of experience as a dom through work. And I thought, oh, I know this, it's old hat. Mm -hmm. One of the pro doms on the, on the panel helped me realize that I could experience a lot more healing because I had an abusive childhood through submission. And mm -hmm. that was a, yeah, it was a huge revelation for me because I had never been in the submissive role before. And I decided to start exploring that in my personal life. I've never done it in work. 
but I've done a ton of therapy and a ton of counseling. And I really thought that I was in a healed place with a lot of like everything that happened to me as a kid. And I found out that there was more healing to be had. And it was, it was a revelation because it was very visceral. It was very cathartic and you can feel it in your body in a different way than just talk therapy brings you. And that also will tie into what we're going to talk about later with the surrogate partner therapy as well. That's a big way of how it actually helps people because you store your trauma somatically in your cellular memory, right? It's in your body. So you can feel like you're in a healed place in your head, but sometimes your body will still react when you are in a physical environment that trips something up. And so that's where a surrogate can come in and really hold that space for you and allow you to process your trigger and then keep going, which helps retrain your body how to receive pleasure again. So that was a long-winded answer. But Dr. Patty and Dr. Robert were the first ones who, they're the founders of my school, who encouraged me to be open about the fact that I was a sex worker. And they said, this is your strength, actually, that you Mm -hmm. have this experience. So once I was open about it in the training, actually, a few other people in the training came out as sex workers in their past life. One of them had been married for 20 years and his husband had no idea he'd even been a sex worker ever. And he was like, I used to be a sex worker in LA and I'm going to share that now because she shared this. And I was like, what's happening? What's happening? And it was so validating. Right. And so that was the beginning of me really owning the fact that I have a lot of really valid experience to bring to the table because of my field work as a sex worker. Right. I did. I learned so much before my clinical training, just being actually with people. Well, we actually met with a sexologist during our parenting series, just to talk about like how to have conversations openly about sex and how she parents her children. And um, we actually reshared it in the sexual health series recently. But um, she was talking about Asar and how she said, actually, I don't think anyone should be She's like, this might be be a strong opinion, but I don't think anyone should be a sex coach or sexologist or doing sex therapy if you have not gone through that training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's so powerful. And so I'm glad that you elaborated on it because we haven't had the chance to really discuss that aspect of it. Super interesting. I agree with that stance 100%. And you know what? If you um, here in BC, in British Columbia, Canada, where I live, we have a governing body um, called... Oh, shoot. What are they called? Opt. Options for sexual health. It escaped me for a minute. And they are a pretty standard sex education sort of governing body. And if you want to get certified as a sex educator or as a sex therapist or a counselor, anything through them, you have to take a SAR. It's mandatory. Wow. There's, yeah, you can't get away from it. And it's, it's hmm. an immersive, usually it's a weekend. Mine was two days, but the one they do here, I think is four days. Okay. So Yeah, it's definitely intense, (laughs) but worth it. So worth it. I can see where if you had sexual trauma as a kid, you wouldn't want to be in a vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. Um, And so by choice, you might not decide to do that. And so only until you're encouraged by someone that you trust, might you head down that path. Absolutely. And it's funny because I had a lot of conversations about this with my mom because she was in California when I was taking this training and she picked me up and she said, what was your biggest takeaway? And I was like, okay, since you asked, it's, uh, you know, submitting in a BDSM scenario. And she was like, explain this to me. Like, I don't understand. And you know, the what to what? Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, I just don't get it. 
Because to her, you know, from people looking on the outside who aren't familiar with this, it looks like you're just asking for somebody to hurt you. But that's not actually the case. The reason that it can be really healing and cathartic is exactly what you just said. It's a controlled environment. There's a beginning and an end. There are boundaries. If you say stop, it stops. Hopefully, if you're with a professional or somebody who knows what they're doing. And that is the difference between BDSM and straight up abuse is an abuser is not going to stop if you're saying stop. Whereas if you say stop in a BDSM scene, that is honored. So it's a way of reclaiming your power, actually. And sometimes people want to relive a rape scene that maybe they've experienced or some kind of trauma in that way, because it's a way for them to reenact when when they didn't have any power and take their power back in that situation, right? And take the control back. And um, it can be very, very powerfully healing. Honestly, it's been my experience anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you mentioned too that through the surrogacy program, there's a lot of healing offered there too. Can you elaborate more on that for us? So I haven't had too much trauma that I've dealt with luckily yet. Nothing's come my way. I do know of folks who have worked with uh, surrogate partners in order to get over a sexual assault. So I know a woman in particular who worked with a male surrogate. And again, typically and often more so, I should explain this because it is a little bit different in the U.S. than it is in Canada. How it's structured is different and the laws are different. So there used to be an organization called IPSA. I'm not sure if they're still operational, honestly, but it's the International Professional Surrogacy Association. And they were the go-to for certification and they were like a governing body for surrogates in the U.S. So in the U.S., it was like a triad. So there would be the patient, and then there would be a a trained clinical therapist, and then there would be the surrogate. And the three of you work in tandem. So you're working through all of your emotional and psychological stuff with your therapist, and then you're working through all of your physical stuff with the surrogate. And because often, especially if you're working through overcoming a trauma, there can be a lot of bonding that happens with the surrogate partner, which is to be expected, and it's totally normal. But you work through those emotions with the therapist so that you okay. can separate it and understand, keep it in the, in the healing box that it's supposed to without it becoming too personal. I know that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but <laughs> right. it really... Well, because it has to, yes. right? So there has right. to be some sort of like boundaries. professionalism and boundaries. Yes. Yeah. 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 And honestly, I've had experiences here because I do personally work with a sex therapist in my personal coaching practice. But we don't have one who's readily on site for the people that we work with who have physical disabilities. It's more of a just a surrogate agency. And I have had experiences where clients have gotten too emotionally attached or too personally involved. And it becomes a problem. And I have always felt like if we had that third piece of the therapist to help them process what's going on, it maybe wouldn't have been so I don't know I don't want to say traumatic because that's not the right word but like or, yeah yeah and then because then we have to cut the relationship off or, because yeah. it's it's getting to an unhealthy place for the client they need to see a new coach you, you know it gets to that point and so I have definitely felt a few times like I wish we had a clinical therapist on board with us to help refer some of the clients to that maybe need it so that's how surrogates really can help people in, I mean, that's just one way. There's so many ways. I mean, with what I do, there is a lot more, there's much more of an educational component 
because very often the folks that I'm dealing with don't have very much experience. So maybe they have questions about anatomy. Maybe they've never seen a live woman naked before. So they just want to see that and ask questions and figure out where things are, how things work. That's totally fine. Sometimes they are wanting to learn about their own bodies, which more often than not is the work that I'm doing because they don't have access to be able to explore these things easily or on their own or in a safe and comfortable environment also. It can be really uncomfortable talking about how to masturbate or how to explore what your sexual identity is like with your parent or your caregiver or whoever, especially with a lot of people's different religious beliefs and stuff that then can can crop up. It can be very difficult to navigate for some folks. And it's just easier to bring in a third party who's like, I'm here to talk about your sexuality today. Like, what do you (laughs) want to talk about? Like, what do you want to learn? What should we explore today? Hard to hide from it. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And also, right. if, if someone's wanting to explore a sexual relationship with another person, or maybe would like to in the future, but they're not sure how to communicate their needs to someone because they haven't explored that before, it's nice to have a third party that's not that you're not like emotionally invested in to like, yes. almost to be really professional. And mm-hmm. not so yeah. then you're not like also nervous and like, having a crush on someone and also having to like, figure out what's going on and yeah what works for you or how like yeah (laughs) would you mind explaining a little bit how sexual surrogacy works and why it's so important yeah so it's very different every session is very different because it's all based on the client's ability their mobility um so what type of injury they have or what type of disability they're dealing with is going to change what we do in a session something i do really frequently is what we call body mapping So body mapping, you go head to toe, front to back, and you go over every single part of the body. And yes, we include erogenous zones, but it's mostly focused on non-erogenous zones. And you try different types of touch, different levels of pressure, different ways of touching or sucking or nibbling or biting or pinching or whatever the case may be. We go through a whole list of things and then you rate how well that felt. And you go down the entire body figuring out where you might have erogenous zones that you maybe didn't know about, especially when we're dealing with, let's say, like a spinal cord injury. Often, erogenous zones will move into different areas of your body, like the earlobes or the thumbs. It's different places. Some people, collarbone, chest, um, scalp, lots of things that people necessarily might not think are very sexual. I've had clients come from having their earlobes massaged, but this particular person knew his body well enough because he had been injured when he was 19 or something. And he's much, much older now. So he's had a lot of experience figuring out what works for him and what doesn't. And that's actually really great when I can show up and a client knows their body well enough to say, this is what I like. This is what I know I need. I'm like, fabulous. That's great. That makes my job really easy. But also the exploration part of it and the body mapping part of it is also really fun. And it's really surprising. Honestly, I've even had surprises with my own body. Like one time I had someone doing some energetic work, but with a sexual energy play with my knees and he (laughs) kissed the side of my knee. And it was, I, I've never experienced anything like it in my life before since it was one of the most strangely profound erotic things 
And I thought I never would have imagined that spot on my body would produce this result. You know, mm-hmm. if he hadn't yeah, done so it funny. himself. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very interesting. So that's something that we do a lot. Sometimes I also help couples. So sometimes there will be partners who are both, who both have some physical disabilities that they're managing and I will help them access each other. So mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, I'll show up and I'll help them get into a position or I'll help them use a sex toy or put a condom on. And then I leave the room, let them do their thing until they call me and I come back in and reposition them, move them around, maybe do some cleanup, whatever needs to be done, leave the room and that kind of thing. So I'm really a facilitator is how I think of myself, whether I'm using my body or I'm helping people access each other's bodies or I'm helping them access their own body. I'm a facilitator. One of the best things about this podcast for us is all the amazing and insightful people we've met. Throughout each of our series, we've seen many common threads. That's why we created the Health It's Personal Inspiration Line to celebrate our unique perspectives and let others around us know that we get it too. We teamed up with artist Cloud Ramkey to help bring these common threads to life. We've all dealt with challenges in our lives that make us stronger. Hence, our new favorite saying, thanks for the trauma. We make sure to remind our listeners and friends that you're not alone and that it's always a judgment-free zone because that's where the best conversations start. Our designs are on t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, water bottles, coffee mugs, stickers, and so much more. These are great gifts for friends, loved ones, educators, caretakers, and advocates to help show your people that you care about their health and well-being. Head over to bonfire.com slash thehippodcast, our website, or our show notes for links to the merchandise, and stay tuned for future inspirational designs and messages too. So the way that you're explaining the work that you do is so incredible, but it's something that people don't often think about and don't really understand why it's so important. Can you explain to us what this means for your clients? Oh, yeah. I love talking about sex and disability because it is such a overlooked area of health and wellness. And I also love talking about it because I think once people realize that this is a need, because like you say, most people just don't think of it. And Mm -hmm. so once it's brought into their awareness, they're like, oh my gosh, I never thought about the guy in the wheelchair having the exact same hormones as me, just having way less access to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course, that is a great need. Of course, I support their needs being able to be met, even if it's through a service. (laughs) And so a lot, most people can get behind the idea of sex work, helping people who have physical disabilities. And then I like to take it one step further and say, okay, so what if there's somebody who has a disability that you can't see? What if they have anxiety? What if they are hard of hearing? What if they have all sorts of other things that can paralyze someone in their social world? And so what makes them any less worthy of having their intimacy needs met Mm -hmm. than somebody who's in a wheelchair? And it's like, oh, okay, usually a light bulb goes off. So I think sex and disability makes people really uncomfortable because disability makes people uncomfortable on its own. And then sex yep. makes people uncomfortable on its own. Yep. So when you put those two things together, <laughs> it like, can no. be very frightening, right? Like, whoa, double taboo, double taboo. But if you think really, they cancel each other out, yeah. you would, right? You would, but really they just compound, I find, which is unfortunate. And I feel like folks in the disability community, un- unfortunately, really get infantilized, if not actually dehumanized altogether. And it can be really easy to do that 
think, oh, that's somebody who's not like me because they don't look like you and they don't move like you. But the fact of the matter is they have the same hormones coursing through their body that you do. And they have the same urges and the same needs and the same desires, just way, way less access to be able to explore any of those things. It's way harder for somebody in a wheelchair to have like a crazy bisexual phase in college than it probably was for me. And so acknowledging that and helping people be able to explore those things and access that is really what gets me so passionate about this. Because in my opinion, it is your basic human right to experience pleasure. We were designed to experience pleasure and connection as a species. We thrive when we do this and we do not thrive if we don't have pleasure and connection in our life. So it's your birthright. It's not a privilege like riding a bike or ice skating. It is your birthright. So when you think of it like that as a basic human right, and you can really start to incorporate that this is actually part of health and wellness. A lot of these folks have funding for physical therapy, massage therapy, sometimes speech therapy, all sorts of therapies, but sex is not included in that. And in my opinion, well, at least not in North America, in other countries it is, because like the Netherlands and Germany and New Zealand, they're way further ahead of us in terms of supporting people who need maybe subsidy from the government or even just decriminalizing it. So you're not a criminal when you're seeking out right. this kind of service. Yeah. Jenny Williams from Enhance the UK, we spoke with her and she is so passionate about this topic. And, and I can see your same energy. Mm -hmm. It's like, these people deserve this. It's a right. And she mentioned that while surrogacy is such an amazing service, that it can be expensive and not everyone has access to it. And what are your thoughts about that? So I agree because typically a surrogate, like I said, works in tandem with a therapist. So you have to pay two helping professionals, which is where it gets really expensive. The agency that I work with, they specifically have designed their pay structure to make it affordable because most folks who are living with physical disabilities are on a fixed income. And that's the, the whole reason. I don't make a ton of money doing this work. It's not my bread and butter. I do it because I believe in the work and that's really where my motivation comes from. So we're trying to do our part to make it more affordable and accessible here in Canada. I would love to see some policy changes. I would love to be part of policy change, see, hoping that like maybe our government can finally acknowledge that this is part and parcel of creating a holistically healthy person. You can't ignore your sexual being and expect to be healthy in all the other areas of your life. When you suppress those things, it will come out in unhealthy ways in other areas. So we all know this. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's really where I feel, how I feel about that. That's, yeah. that's a really well said. I, I love everything that you just said, honestly. And uh, <laughs> I am so excited to see so many people out there doing work like this because they believe in the work. I think just about everyone we've spoken to has said similar sentiments and it really kind of fires us up too. And we love supporting the work that you're doing, the work that others are doing, because we really want to help see that difference made in the world, which is really exciting. But what you said also brings up a lot of kind of misconceptions and myths and stigmas and shame about these topics. And I was wondering if you would mind kind of sharing your perspective or your take on that. Just the stigma. Yeah. Shame and stigma. Where do I begin? I could talk about shame and stigma till the cows come home. It's a tough bird because shame, first of all, like Brene Brown says, shame can only exist in secrecy. 
it's one of the ingredients that shame needs in order to grow is secrecy and then also judgment. So if you add secrecy and judgment in a Petri dish, you will grow shame. That's what Brene Brown says. So, and I agree. I know. I love her too, right? Who doesn't love Mm -hmm. Brene Brown? So (laughs) those I think are the really good jumping off points because the secrecy portion is a big part of it. I think people are very uncomfortable talking about body parts. I think people are very uncomfortable talking about sexuality and Mm -hmm. pleasure in particular because lots of reasons. Religion is a huge one. And religion, of course, has been shaming people in order to control their behaviors for millennia. One of the questions I get the most often in my private coaching practice is from young men all over the world. Constantly, they're, they're writing me asking, you know, how much is too much masturbation? And there is no such thing as, as too much masturbation unless you're in a compulsive situation where you have to masturbate and you're not showing up for other responsibilities you have in your life. If it's keeping you from showing up to work on time or you don't pick up the kids from school or something like that, then, okay, we're maybe moving into a problem, but there's no magic number that's going to say, okay, if you're in this range, you're normal. And if right. this range, you're not. And, and no. it'll be kind of something else at that point, not just <laughs> masturbation. Yeah. Well, exactly. And sex is, sex is a spectrum. It's not a box. And we're taught that sex is just this one thing that fits into this box and anything outside of that box is bad or sinful or immoral. And that's just not true. You need to find what's right for you. Absolutely. What feels good for you. I'm not going to say one thing is better or one thing is worse for anyone because just like your tastes in food and clothing and music evolve over the course of your lifetime, so will your sexual appetite. And that is completely normal. And it's okay for you to have more of a sex drive one week and less of a sex drive the next week. And maybe I don't like my knees kissed. Yeah, maybe you don't like your (laughs) knees kissed. That's totally fine too, right? Like, or maybe one day you want to get weird and like suck my nose. Let's see how that feels. Like, let's try. You know, you're feeling more experimental that day. That's totally cool. So you're going to be moving along this spectrum of sexuality throughout your entire life and throughout your day-to-day life as well. So accepting that there's an ebb and a flow to this is really going to help people a lot when they're navigating how to figure out what their sexual identities are and what their proclivities are. But I also think it's very threatening, I find, especially for parents of kids who have physical disabilities, often folks who have physical disabilities still end up having their parents as a primary caregiver whether it be an economical thing or just a, it's easier to live in the same house, that kind of thing, lots mm-hmm. of reasons why. And um, you're taking care of your child constantly, but on another level when they have a physical disability. And so it can be really easy to infantilize them. And it can be very mm-hmm. threatening to consider your child, even parents who have able-bodied children, I find it can be threatening to acknowledge that your child is a sexual being and that they have a right to a healthy sexual life. And I think if parents can whenever parents contact me on behalf of their kids, I rejoice because it does happen. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. And I'm like, oh, I always give them props. Like you are progressive and I love it. Like, mm-hmm. thank you for doing this for your kid because you're making their life better and you're helping them feel like a whole human being. Mm-hmm. You know, you're missing a part adult. of an adult human being. That's mm-hmm. right. Because this sexuality is such a beautiful part of being human. And everyone deserves to experience whatever that it, whatever that looks like for them in their life. So I encourage parents to not shy away from the idea that their kids are sexual beings and that, you know, they're adult children, but even 
it's threatening for people to say this, but small children are sexual in their own way as well. There is research that shows that fetuses masturbate in the womb. So sexuality is very natural from before birth. And if we can accept that, I think it gets easier to start talking about how to facilitate those things for people once they become old enough to consent to do so. Yeah. You know? Yes. And that, that so kind of ties into said. the ethics of it all, too. I think that's that's exactly perfect because kind of what you were saying earlier about just the boundaries that we set, too. We have to kind of be mindful of those. But I think people kind of go, it's all or nothing. <laughs> like, black and white, yeah. that's it. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's so beautifully said and so many great things for us to think about and for our listeners to think about that us as able-bodied people don't always consider. And we've been so lucky in this series to have had a lot of conversations about sex and disability, but these aren't conversations being had very much. So we're so grateful for you and the work that you're doing. <laughs> can Like beyond, can you tell everyone where they can find your work? And you and and maybe get in touch or work with uh, find your new projects and the things you're excited about. So they yeah, can so you as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, my website is mojomediator.com. So you can reach me through my website or you can just email me at mojomediator at gmail.com. Then what else? Sensual Solutions is the agency I work for in Vancouver. So they are helping people who have physical disabilities. So if you're looking to try and get in touch with a, a surrogate, you can try Sensual Solutions in Canada or IPSA. If you're in the United States, you can try looking for a qualified professional in your area. And then the ECC, the Equitable Care Certification, they're always looking for sponsors as well, donations. So if you just Google Equitable Care Certification or ECC.com, everything should come up um, and you can contact the people who are in charge there to get involved. Because we're also still looking for some sex workers to interview to be part of uh, the curriculum. So if that's something that interests you, it's paid and it can be anonymous as well. We're still trying to source some of those folks. And then the Pleasure Fund. The Pleasure Fund is, uh, is I'm not sure, it, like I said, they're having technical issues. So I'm not sure you're going to be able to find them online yet. But maybe, hopefully they will be soon. So if you Google the Pleasure Fund, hopefully soon you will be able to apply for grants if you have any research projects in mind that are going to enhance women's pleasure and, and sexuality. That's amazing. Yes. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. So as soon as they're up and running, mm -hmm. find stuff there. Great. Yeah, great. And we'll definitely Sounds share on good. social media too. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll yeah, like cool. Awesome. awesome. We could talk to you all day. Yeah, I was like, I so had much so to many talk other about, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like where do we go from here? Which direction? <laughs> But this has been so wonderful. Is there anything that you didn't have the chance to say today that you would like to? No obligation. I just I just like asking people that so that if there's something you wanted to say, you could. Yeah. And no, I think my biggest point that I like to drive home is that that pleasure is your birthright. And that is true of everyone who's born as a human being on this planet. So allow yourself the space to explore what that means for you. If you're taking care of someone who has physical disabilities, allow them the space to explore what that means for them. And it doesn't have to be something that if you're uncomfortable talking about it, which most people are, otherwise I wouldn't have a job, you know, hire, <laughs> hire someone, you know, hire someone like me to come in and help you learn how to discuss it or to be a mediator in between and uh, to be the go-between, or even just to give you some tips on how to, how to bring it up. Because once that space is available, people will typically walk into it. 
but Mm -hmm. you need to make the space available for people. You need to make it safe to have those discussions. And I think a piece that gets missed a lot of the time when we're talking about communication is um, this is again, what I (laughs) mostly what I do with coaching with couples is about communication. And a lot of people think communication is about speaking, being able to speak what your needs are. And that is true. Communication is about being able to speak what your needs are. But the other half of communication that I feel gets missed a lot is not just active listening, but how you receive the information. Mm -hmm. Because if you're actively listening, but you're receiving the information and having a reaction, like you get angry or you get upset or offended, then you're not making the space safe for someone to continue to bring this information to you. So how you receive Mm -hmm. the information is the other piece of communicating effectively that I feel gets missed a lot. So if you have triggers come up, if someone that you care about or that you're taking care of expresses a desire to want to explore a masturbation or a sex toy or a surrogate or a BDSM club or whatever it is, if you have a trigger that comes up for you in your body, that means that you have some healing to do around that issue. That's not about the person sharing the information. That's about, that's about what's going on for you. So that's always an indicator. Your emotions are always an indicator. They're always giving you information that you need. So if you're having negative emotions, take that as your indicator that maybe you have some work that you could maybe do too. And maybe you could find a professional to help you through that. I love that because that kind of ties into what we're always talking about, which is accessibility is for everyone. It benefits us all. And you might not even realize it until you think you're helping someone else. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, maybe I need to unpack that. (laughs) That's brilliant. And I can say from just our listeners and friends who have heard our episodes in this series, they've already started talking about so much stuff more openly. And I can only imagine what, you know, actual therapy would help them do. (laughs) So that's amazing. Yay. Uh, that's my biggest mission in life is to help people feel more comfortable talking about sex in general to yes. their kids, to themselves, to their partners all around. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't yeah. be this weird off topic, off limits thing. It really shouldn't. We're all having it or we all wish we were having it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the quote yeah. of the day. <laughs> right I love it. Oh, this has been so wonderful, Jocelyn. We can't thank you enough. Oh, well, thank you. It was my pleasure to come on. I could talk to you guys for another two hours easily. Same. Oh, good. Yeah. We're so thank glad you feel <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Health It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new releases every Wednesday. Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your journey. Because health, it's personal.